Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. And welcome this morning, Salem Alliance. So glad you're here. And if you're joining us on live stream, we're glad that you're with us that way as well. As a matter of fact, I suspect you might have had the best seat in the house for the kids' story this morning once they discovered that they were on camera. Uh, that was pretty fun for those of us who are up front to notice what was going on up here. My name is Jennifer. I am one of the pastors here at Salem Alliance. It's just a joy to be with you here this morning. If you haven't yet had your fruit snacks, now is snack time, you know, kind of mid-service snack time. So, And if you didn't get any fruit snacks on your way in, feel free to pop back out behind the doors and, and grab some. We are in Family Gathers Month, which this month we've been celebrating around the family table. Uh, the family table is one that doesn't have a kid's table because what we're celebrating here at Salem Alliance is that we are a multi-generational church that is part of the family of God. Some of you may be here today and you don't have family in Salem with you. And this isn't just about the family that sits in the pew with you, but it's about the fact that as children of God, we are family. And so we celebrate our multi-generational family here at Salem Alliance. We've been doing that this month with um, talking about timeless truths, conversations from the Bible that will apply to all ages. And so today the one that we're going to look at is about putting others first. This core truth that we see throughout the Bible of preferring one another above ourselves or putting others first. So before we dive into the Bible reference here, I want to kind of think about some of the, because here's the deal. This is a core truth of the faith, but it is also one of the values of our, um, of our media and our books. When you look at heroes or heroines, what are they doing? They're putting others first. Now, our culture doesn't necessarily live this, but our fiction does, right? So if you think about um, the Cars movie, I know I'm dating myself here for how old my kids are because they were watching Cars when they were little. When Lightning McQueen, those of you who remember it, he screeches to a halt right before the finish line, before he wins the Piston Cup, because King had gotten in a wreck and he backs up and he pushes or bump drafts King in across the finish line in his final race. Or maybe it's Flynn Rider in Rapunzel when he, he gives up the chance to be healed by cutting off Rapunzel's hair and saving her from her wicked, evil, not mother. Okay, so where you're sitting, just think with those around you, those you came with, can you think of another fictional character who put somebody else first? Turn to somebody next to you. Can you think of somebody else, fictional character, at home on live stream, talk about it there. Can you think of somebody who put somebody else first? Okay, I know I didn't give you long, but I'm guessing some of you came up with one, and I'm going to be bold and ask you to yell it out today. Who did you think of? Captain America. Captain America, thank you. Somebody else? I can't hear. Bell? Yeah, Beauty and the Beast, is that who you're talking about? Yep. Some... Say it again. Oh, sorry for those of you on live stream. Sam Alliance Gamgee? <laughs> okay, just hang on a second here. Okay, say it. Sam Wise Gamgee. Okay, you guys know that's a story I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Somebody fill me in after the service. Okay, so we have examples. But we also have examples in real life of those who put others first. And the classic scripture on this is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians and he says this. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Here's this classic principle from our faith that says, don't just look out for our own interests, but look out for others. And Paul goes on to say, we should be following the example of Jesus, who by very nature was God, but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and chose to take on the nature of a human, of a servant, to humble himself, even to the point of death, putting us before himself. Today during worship, I had a picture um, earlier this week, I was sitting in my quiet time space, which is out on my back patio in the early morning on a couch. And I was sitting with my journal and my Bible and I was weeping. I was weeping over some of the brokenness in my life and I was crying out to God and I was saying, God, when will this change? When will you rescue me? I don't want these things to stay the way that they are. I want them to change. And this morning, sitting in that standing in that pew at worship, when we were singing, I am set free, I had this picture of myself on the couch and Jesus on the cross. And it was as if God was saying to me, Jennifer, I was already on the way. Before you even prayed the prayer, I was already on the way, putting myself first, sacrificing myself for you so that I would be ready in that moment to be able to say, you're already free, daughter. You are already free. And I don't know where you are today and what you've been crying out to God for even this week. I don't know the things that have you sitting in your quiet space, your couch, your chair, laying in bed, crying out to God, weeping, saying, God, when will this change? But he's already on the way because he put us first. And friends, putting others first is countercultural. See, our culture says that the individual is king or queen, that we get to decide what we want, that whatever we want is our right, that it is our right to pursue happiness. It is our right to pursue our own good. And this message comes to us through media, through books, through friends, through advertisements. It is all over that, that the individual is the primary person and God is saying no. No, we follow the example of Jesus and we put others first. And yet this is hard when we live in a culture that doesn't necessarily put others first, but pursues our own personal gain at the highest, as the highest value. And so today, as we unpack, what does this look like to put others first in a countercultural way? We're also going to do this in a multi-generational way. So I am thrilled to share the preaching time with my dear friend and my longtime mentor, Barbara Fletcher. So Barbara, come and teach us about putting others first. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. And thank you, church family. It is such a privilege after being on staff for 26 years and now retired for a number of years to be back and get to speak to my church family. So thank you for that warm welcome. As I have thought about this principle of putting others first, um, it, it is so core to the scriptures. We see it over and over and over. And as Jennifer just said, we hear it constantly in a culture uh, to put ourselves first. But I think that there's something in each of us that says, put yourself first as well. I mean, isn't it true that whether it's, uh, whether we're looking for a parking place, we go and try to find the one that's best for us? 
Or if we're in the grocery store and we want to get in line, we try to get in ahead of those people are kind of slow. Maybe I can sneak in in front of them and uh, take care of me first. Or if we're at a party and there's a cake we really like and it's a sheet cake and maybe we say, maybe I can get the corner piece because that has more icing um, and I like icing. Or um, maybe we, when we're with friends, we only choose to hang out with people that are our favorite friends and we leave other people to the side, or maybe when we're in a conversation, um, we tend to be the first one to talk and the last one to listen. Because see, I think there's something in us that causes us to put ourselves first. Um, And so I have been convicted by this study for these last several weeks, and I'm trusting that God will speak to your hearts today as he has spoken over and over to mine. And I've loved this theme of being an intergenerational church and everybody at the table, and I am ecstatic that we are an intergenerational church. And I like to think of my family sitting at that table today as I uh, get to speak to you, dear people. And um, if they were sitting there, there would be 15 of us all together. Um, Three would be my children. Three would be their spouses. And there would be eight grandchildren at that table. And we'd have card tables attached to the front and back of that table so that we could all fit. Uh, And one of the people at that table would be my grandson, Jackson. Uh, Jackson is now uh, 19 years old, and he was born with a significant disability, a cognitive disability, that has made his life quite challenging for him in different ways. And uh, God has really um, cared for him over and over and over Um, When he was 16 years old and a junior at South High School, um, he went out for, uh, not track, track is a spring sport, cross country is the fall sport. Uh, He went out for cross country, and he didn't really want to, but his mom made him, because she thought it would be good for him, and moms kind of do that sort of thing. And uh, it was hard for Jackson. Uh, Cross-country practice starts in August when it's still pretty hot, as we all know, and you have to run at least three miles at practice, and it's held in the late afternoon, and it's really hot, and it was really hard for Jackson, and um, pretty soon it was time for the first race, and it happened to be up in Portland, and I went up to that race with uh, my daughter and son-in-law, and we cheered on Jackson, and uh, Jackson wasn't able to finish the race. He ran out of steam, and he got in the car at the end of that race, and he just said, I'm a total failure. I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And we did what parents and grandmothers and grandpas do. Jackson, you gave it a good try. You gave it a good try. You're going to be great. Just keep at it. Um, You can do it, and uh, we're so proud of you. But God intervened, and God made sure that Jackson could do it. He brought a young man into Jackson's life who was also on the uh, cross-country team, and that young man saw that Jackson really wanted to finish the races, and so he pulled back from his own best time and ran alongside Jackson to encourage him. And we have a video that I'd love for you to see about me here and Jackson and what happened. I knew that he wanted to finish it, and he just wanted to make sure that he had the integrity to do it. So all I did was provide him with that. It was all his job of doing it.
just felt, to me at least, happy to like put on that jersey and say I'm from South. I didn't really like make Jackson run. Jackson sort of ran himself. All I did was just keep telling him that he could keep going. So credit most definitely goes to Jackson for accomplishing that. Um, and I just basically yelled at him to keep going. So. Well, actually, the credit does go to you because you're the one who just was yelling at me, and the coaches were like all the way over in the finish line area, and yet you decided to stay with me and encourage me. So, pretty much, credit goes to both of us. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> thank you. After that experience of Jackson and me here running together a few times, um, me here went on and did other races on his own, but Jackson had figured it out, and Jackson finished every other uh, race that year, and again the next year he did as well. And interestingly enough, because when we put others first, it can be contagious, and it stuck in Jackson's heart how much it had meant to him when somebody helped him, and so Jackson would go at the back of the pack every practice to encourage kids that were new to the cross-country team, and he, he did that for the last uh, year of his high school, and then, and interestingly, he still goes to the practices for cross-country, and he, he uh, goes to the back of the pack, and he cheers the kids on so they can succeed as he succeeded. Um, but putting others first definitely can be contagious. And so today, I want us to look at uh, the life of Jesus, or a day in the life of Jesus. And because I was preaching, I got to choose my own text, and I chose uh, a passage that's always been a favorite of mine. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. And in that day of Jesus' life, we're going to see how he consistently had compassion and put others first. Had compassion and put others first. But that chapter starts with the story of uh, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would have been like a cousin to Jesus. They were from the same extended family. They lived in different villages, so they wouldn't have seen each other every day. But they would have seen each other at family weddings and family gatherings, and they were like six months apart in age. And uh, they were similar because they both had a huge heart for God. Um, and so their hearts were bound from the very beginning. I'm convinced of that. John uh, started a public ministry well before Jesus did, and he preached and he prophesied and he called the people to change your life and live more like God, and he led many of them to be baptized as a symbol that they were going to lead a new kind of life. Um, and then it was time for Jesus to begin his public ministry, and Jesus went to John the Baptist and said, would you baptize me? And John was pretty horrified. He, he understood who Jesus was, and he said, I'm not even worthy to tie uh, the shoes on your, your the strings on your sandal. Um, but he did baptize Jesus that day, and then Jesus launched his ministry. John continued in his ministry, and one of the things John did in his ministry that led to considerable problems was that um, he spoke to King Herod and Herodias and talked to them about how wrong it was that Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife and brought him to live with her. And uh, Herod and especially Herodias um, did not appreciate that counsel at all. And uh, they literally had uh, John the Baptist thrown in prison. 
And not being satisfied with that, um, Herodias one night even called for him to be uh, beheaded. And so he was beheaded. Um, Jesus, as we begin with his life in Matthew chapter 14, has just heard this news. And so you can imagine that he who was like, maybe we could even call a ministry colleague of John's, a cousin of John's, somebody he'd known his entire life, would have been deeply, deeply grieved by what had happened, horrified by the violent death. And as I think of the last few years in your lives and in mine, I'm keenly aware of uh, the impact of grief on all of us that's come through COVID. Um, We've all lost friends. Some of you have heartbreakingly even lost family members. Um, Some of you lost jobs. Um, All of the kids had school experiences that were not what they expected, and they lost things important to them. They didn't get to have the sports that they would usually have had. They didn't get to sing in choir like they usually would. They didn't get to have theater and drama the way they usually would. They didn't get to do anything the way they usually would. And there was a lot of loss and a lot of grief that has come into all of our lives through the last few years of COVID. So difficult. So difficult. And if we've experienced grief, which we have, we know that grief is painful. It's exhausting emotionally, very exhausting emotionally. And so as we look in Matthew chapter 14 and think of the life of Christ in the midst of the grief that he is just now experiencing, we might expect that he would go off for a while and have some time to himself just to process, think it through, weep. But as we open uh, Matthew 14, we come to verse 13, and let's read what really did happen. As soon as Jesus heard the news about John, he left in a boat to go to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many different towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He healed their sick. He healed their sick. Turns out there were thousands of people that gathered that day. And throughout the day, Jesus would have ministered to one after another, healing and teaching, healing and teaching, healing and teaching. And pretty soon we get to the end of that day, that exhausting day for Jesus. And his disciples come to him and say, the people are really hungry. They've been here all day long. Um, We need to let them get some food. And then we have the wonderful story that Abby read so well to the children and to all of us. And the feeding of the 5,000. And it was 5,000 men who were fed. And there were even women there. And there were children there. So it was a huge number of people. That incredible miracle of Christ that's uh, recorded for us in uh, literally all four Gospels. It's the only miracle recorded in all four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as the day went on, Jesus fed them all, and then Jesus dismissed the crowd, and he also dismissed his disciples. And he said, how about you get in the boat, you go to the other side of the lake, probably the Sea of Galilee, and I will join you there uh, later. Finally, finally, Jesus is alone. And he goes up to spend time, I'm sure, up on that mountain, that steep hillside, alone with his father, 
And yet we find out that at 3 o'clock, he's on alert. 3 o'clock in the morning, he's on alert. And he looks out over the Sea of Galilee, and, and he sees that the disciples are in trouble. And um, he waits a little while, and I'm wondering what he was doing when he waited. I, I've thinking back to 21 years ago when I lost my husband and how um, sleep was very hard to come by. And if you've experienced deep grief, you know you don't sleep very well. Um, you just don't. Talk to God a lot, you cry a lot, and you don't sleep much. And I'm thinking Jesus was perhaps awake because he couldn't sleep either. I'm thinking he was processing with God, why in the world did you let this happen to John? I'm wondering if he was processing with God, if that's what they did to John, is what will they do to me? It was a long and a hard night for him, but he was on alert. He looked out over the Sea of Galilee, and he walks out on the water, incredibly amazingly, to get to that boat, calms the winds, and goes with his disciples in the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then we pick up the story at the end, at the beginning of that day in Matthew 14, verses 34 to 36. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged Jesus to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And all who touched him were healed. And so another day begins of seeing the needs of other people, ministering to the needs of other people, healing, teaching, and on and on and on it went. Others first was a lifestyle for Jesus. And I, I read that chapter and read other things in the gospel about the way Jesus lived, and I just think, um, realistically, you and I would love to be able to live that way and um, do without sleep that much and serve that much, but in fact we would burn out probably because we're not made to do that. Maybe we can do it in short seasons of our lives, but we can't do it all the time. We need more sleep than that. And if we have grief, grief takes a lot more time to process than a few hours. But as I read that story, I also am convicted that Yaps, I can't go to that pace and that constant looking out for others first. But I can be more selfless. And perhaps you can be as well. At the table over here with my family sit twin granddaughters, Kate and Claire, who are 17 years old and shockingly going to be seniors at South Salem High School this year. I have been very inspired by them. Um, by the way that they care for other people, and in particular their heart uh, for students who have disabilities. Um, I, I watch them make friends with them, and they say, well, Grandma, they're just our friends. And they take them to movies, or they take them these, those friends out to have some ice cream. When it was time for the prom this last spring, uh, they put together a group of typically developing kids with kids, also kids with special needs, who came to, went to the prom together, went out to dinner together, and those kids got to dress in tuxedos and fancy dresses and the first time in their lives experienced a high school prom. And then they decided this summer that um, 
you know, hoopla would be a lot of fun to do with our friends. So they put together a South High uh, team and submitted it and invited some of their special needs friends with their typically developing friends. And they all went down in the city um, in July and played their game. And, and of course, they lost, which was no, that was their expectation. So that was no problem um, because they were there to have fun with their friends. And they did. And when they finished their game, um, there was a woman on the sidelines with a little toddler um, in a stroller, and she came over to talk to them, and she was completely tearful um, because they had been so inspiring to her to see all of those kids playing together. And I have a photo that shows you um, why she felt the way she did. That's her little Down syndrome boy with Abe who played on the team who is Down syndrome also. And uh, that dear mom was in tears because she said, it gives me hope that when my son goes to school, there will be kids that will care about him and he won't be mistreated and he too will have friends. And you see, when we put others first, there are surprising blessings that come back to us, like it did to those kids that day. They didn't expect that kind of pat on the back or that kind of uh, gift to that dear mother. And it turned out to be a gift to them as well. Little Jordan made friends with high schooler Abraham that day. COVID, I think, besides giving us lots of reasons to grieve, has also caused us, even trained us, to put ourselves first, to protect ourselves, to literally avoid other people. And I would suggest that it's time for all of us to come out of the fog and ask again, how can I put others first? Many of us have gotten out of the habit of serving the Lord here at church Because for so long we couldn't, of course. But it's time to come out of the fog and put our church first, put our church family first, put our neighbors first, put our community first, and ask God, how can we, how can I show your love to the people around me and put them before myself? Since I've been uh, retired, I'm keenly aware of the change of my life schedule. And between COVID and the change in my life schedule, I've realized how easy it has become, if I wanted to, to become a totally self-indulgent person. I mean, the culture tells me as a retiree, I've done enough. Um, It's time for me to have fun and go on more hikes and go on more long walks and travel more to see things and see all my kids and um, do your favorite hobby as long as you want to do it. And yet I don't think that's what God is saying. I know it's not what he's saying to me. Not that it's wrong to travel. Not that it's wrong to have a hobby. It's how much we do those things. And where is our heart in the midst of a world that needs desperately to experience the love of Jesus as shown by the way we care for others and put others first. The reality is, as my granddaughters have learned so very well and all of us who've served in any way have learned, when we put others first, um, we will be the most blessed.
Jennifer, come and share whatever you want to share to finish this out. Barbara, thank you so much. As we wrap up, we've talked about today that putting others first is countercultural, that putting others first is contagious, that putting others first blesses not only others, but it blesses us. And there's one more that I want to talk about as we finish up today, and that's this. As Jesus was sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper, after he had washed their feet, one other example of him putting them first, he then said, a new commandment I give to you, as I have loved you, so you need to love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. And he took this putting others first in the context of what it means to know ourselves loved by God to such an extent that we can not only model the way that he loved, but we have the confidence within us because we know ourselves to be loved to go ahead and put others first, to go ahead and surrender to God's way and his will, to go ahead and lay down our rights for things like happiness or security or just more rest or whatever that is that you protect to the expense of putting others first. Sometimes that can be in ways like serving here in our glow ministries or in Omni or with our youth. Sometimes that's holding a block party or inviting neighbors over. Sometimes that's very personal, like being a parent with young kids in your home. Can I just pause for a minute and say you're exempt from this message right now? (laughs) Your life is putting others first for about the next 10 years. Just hang on. (laughs) But maybe choose joy in the midst of that, knowing that you are a reflection of Jesus while you do that. Maybe you're caring for aging parents and you're their caregiver right now and you are putting somebody else first every single day and you're exhausted. Friends, this is a journey that we're on that we do together, but this is a call and an invitation and even a challenge to search our heart and say, have I gotten stuck in a little bit of self-indulgence and are there some ways that I could be putting others first? Because Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And as a matter of fact, he said this here in John chapter 13, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way that we put others first is the way that the world sees that we're different. Friends, I know this is not new. This is one of the core concepts of our faith. But the way that we put others first is the way the world knows that there's something different about the family of God. And friends, our world desperately needs to know that there's something different about the family of God because God is the hope of the nations and the nations need hope. And if they don't see anything different in us, how will they know that our God is the God that loves us enough that we can love others and that we can truly put others first? Because putting others first is the testimony of Jesus to a hurting world. It's not just countercultural, it's not just contagious, and it's not just a blessing. Those are great things. But putting others first, it is the testimony of Jesus to a world that desperately needs to know that Jesus is the comfort and the counsel and the conviction and the redemption and the healing that we each individually and corporately as a culture need. He is our only hope. And if we will not live in light of his life and in light of his commands and truly love one another and put others ahead of ourselves, then the world can't see that there's any difference between our family table and their family table. And our world needs to know that there's a difference between those family tables. Because at this family table, there's love, there's hope, there's joy, there's connection, there's community, there's healing and redemption and freedom and salvation. And we live in a world that needs to know that. So let's be putting others first. Let's pray. 
God, we are so grateful that you are a God who chose to put us first in creation, in sending your son, in dying on the cross, in modeling a life of service. You not only call this from us, but you demonstrated it. And over and over and over again, God, you have loved us so deeply, so richly, and so well. May we be people who know your love enough to pour out that love on others, selflessly, humbly, sacrificially. May we, your people, be those who put others first because that is the example that you set for us and because that is the way that you love us. We love you, God, and we worship you today. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.